Hello and welcome to our views from the podcast. I'm joined this week, as always, by Kaya Karnak. How are you doing, mate? You good? You well? I'm very good. I'm very good. I'm getting off the back end of a uh, nasty cold just in time for a not too testing trip away on Friday night that you and I are both heading up to Manchester for. So Mm. we're looking forward to that. I was going to say, you're just getting off the back of a cold, which you're about to then sit next to me for several hours. So, yay. Oh, mate. It's going to be a long journey up. It's going to be a fun journey up. No, it's going to be good. Uh, Hopefully, it's going to be good. We're going to talk about Manchester City uh, in a little bit. But uh, welcome, listeners, first of all. And uh, thank you for being patient. Of course, we would usually want to release these earlier on in the week. But lots has happened, um, which meant we we couldn't do that. And uh, we're bringing you this show slightly later on in the week. And thanks for those that continue to throw in questions. We we did a tweet last minute this week because everything's been a bit up in the air. And uh, we're going to try and get to as many of your questions as we can. But make sure that you are indeed throwing in your questions. You can follow Kaya on Twitter at Kaya Kaya at 97 at myself at Tom Canton Media. And we'll be putting tweets out on those accounts about trying to get your questions as well in for the pods. But there is only one place to start, really. And although it's, it feels a little bit late now, um, I'm still basking in the glory of Sunday, Kaya. It was a fantastic victory. You were there. Tell me how it was. It's great. I think it's the, the best atmosphere. There's been some incredible atmospheres in the Emirates this season. Don't get me wrong. Liverpool was superb. Spurs was superb. Mm. But um, Fulham was actually amazing as well. But this is, I think, the best. I've seen it. And... Yeah, obviously the 90th minute helped, but I think it was already a fantastic atmosphere before that. And I think the fact that Arsenal went down a goal and immediately within seconds, the crowd were roaring, come on. That just mm. shows what a nice place it is to be at the Emirates right now. It's it's really fun to be there. And it's really fun to watch a crowd and listen to a crowd and watch a team that both believe that they will win. It's such a difference from what we've seen at Arsenal probably throughout my entire adult watching life, I think, if I'm being honest. And uh, yeah, it's, it was it was a great match. The atmosphere was electric. I know that's what everyone says. I'm trying to think of something different to say. I'll come up with a different metaphor at some point. I promise. But yeah, it was it was it was electric. I can't think of anything else. Yeah, no buzzing. Um, it was brilliant. Uh, and I was only sitting in my room at home enjoying it, as I'm sure plenty of those listening were too. Um, those at pubs, those at uh, club events, those of course watching it in the stadium just a unanimous kind of feeling i'm curious of course because those that don't know when you're sitting in the um in the press box celebrating is not really like uh, a thing you can do not only because obviously that you're working but it's kind of uh i don't use the word frowned upon but you know it's just not kind of professional behavior but did you struggle to in the 90th minute how did you cope with it i was sitting there next to another one a journalist who's a friend um you know but i won't, I won't mention him here mm. and um yeah, I punched his arm a lot. I'll say that much. That's, <laughs> that's the most I was allowed to celebrate. Um, but uh, that was, yeah, it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. I think 90th minute for journalists is a bit different because we were all trying to file our match pieces mm. at that exact minute. So there's a slight, slight sense of annoyance that everything has to change, but immediately gets overwhelmed by a tsunami of just utter joy. And I think, yeah, Sunday was all the elation, all the elation. It was, it was super. Yeah, I usually just kind of slam my hands into the keyboard in one of our Slack chats and just send a a load of letters (laughs) across. That's usually my reaction because I can't put into words the elation in those moments. But it is it was a defining moment. Most of all, I think, for Eddie and Ketia. You know, this is someone that's come into the team and 
really had his doubts twice, both at the end of last season and this season, of course. And he's delivered both times. I mean, what more can this guy do but yet can prove his doubters wrong? I think if there are any Eddie doubters anymore, then they're just doing it to to be contrarian for the sake of it. Surely at this point, I, I kind of understood it because mm. in the Europa League, he was he was okay, but he wasn't, I think, at his Premier League best from the end of last season. I think that's probably fair to say. But mm-hmm. I think when you put him in the first team, you put the best players around him, they create the best chances. He raises his game because he realises he's on par with the big boys. And suddenly he raises his levels to, to levels we didn't know he was capable of. I mean, I think Sky did a really interesting set of stats, whereas his XG was up there, I think, only behind Haaland um, per, per 90 or something like that. I might have to check those those figures. But hmm. essentially, the thing is, what Eddie's done is we, we were all worried about, you know, can he replicate the whole Jesus stuff? But he's doing that excellently. He's doing that so well. His link-up play is excellent. He's... His, his, occupying defenders he's pressing high he's combining with teammates that stuff we were all concerned about whether he could do on top of that he's scoring a heck of a lot of goals and how many is that now what six games seven goals i want to say and that's an impressive return for a guy who was was coming into it cold some might argue that the jesus injury happening in the middle of the world cup kind of helped him in the sense that it allowed arteta to kind of build him up and say look you're going to be our main man this is what I want you to do. We're going to work on the training ground for six weeks and this is what we're going to do. And that went really well for Arsenal. It's, we're seeing the rewards of it now. But Arteta always had faith in Nketiah. I think even when there was very few Arsenal fans that did. And mm. he deserved credit for that. He saw something that none of us none of us really saw. And maybe that's the reason he's the super successful football manager and we're all sat here doing podcasts. But he was, yeah, I mean, Nketiah, it's not just the goals. It's really not just the goals. And I think that's been the criticism of Eddie in the past. It's the all-round play. He's, he's yeah. been superb, aside from excellent goal-scoring record as well. And I, I don't like the narrative, will Jesus get his place back when he comes back from injury? Because I think, why do you need to put them against each other? You've got two great strikers and, you know, fantastic. If you can use them together in certain games, you play one on the wing, you can, you know, there's there's options. There's reasons why you would play one. There's reasons why you play both. Different games, different needs, all that kind of stuff. But just focus on the here and now and enjoy the fact that Eddie Nketiah is playing so well because it's another Arsenal Academy product and that front three against my new cost 4.5 million like that's i think my mass isn't great but i think that's 18 anthony you can buy 18 of that for one anthony or something like that so it's very very impressive what those three are doing and it's it's really exciting how Eddie and catch is basically keeping the title charge afloat and yeah Arsenal need him and he stepped up yeah, look, his goals have been really, really important. And as you say, it's not just that. It is the overall game and what he brings to the team. Um, he's taken on board as much as he can from the demands of what Arteta expects from a striker. It's not just about what you do in the six-yard box. You need to harry, you need to press, you need to link up play, drop in, You know, create space for your teammates, make runs that aren't going to receive a pass because it stretches the defence. You know, He's doing all of these things um, and it's great to see. And when Jesus, if and when he comes back, hopefully as soon as possible, will have to earn his spot back. You know, it's not a a guarantee that he goes straight in. I I wrote the other day about how actually potentially we could see him be a bit of a competitive option maybe for Bukayo Saka because we've not got too much depth on the right-hand side and Jesus can play in these front three. So why not have Jesus as a competitive option, not just for the striking role, but for other positions? And I think that that is definitely something that Arteta will consider if he needs to rotate and change things about and Jesus isn't necessarily starting. 
And of course, getting him minutes to get back into the team is going to be really important as well and ease him after such a serious injury. Um, last thing on the Man United game, obviously Arteta spoke uh, in the press conference after the game, was speaking about kind of the unity, about what this means, about the context of the victory. I've been very impressed with kind of seeing these little clips and training videos and kind of like the speeches he does about what he expects and the tactical side of things. Because he's kind of got this knack of saying something that needs to be done. And then you can literally see evidence of it on the field. And I think there was an interview that he did at the start of his time at the club that's going around as as we do, because Arsenal fans love to recirculate this sort of stuff, where he talks about how um, he needs to be able to say what is going to happen and then things happen. Now, I don't know if you've seen this video, Kai, but there's one going around about how he talks about the how a winger should receive the ball um, and what defenders need to do to stop a progression from a winger. And it, it genuinely just matches exactly what happened with Anthony Wambasaka, which didn't work, and then Saka and White or Saka and Saliba that did work. I mean, this is surely just so much more evidence of, of how good of a coach Arteta is and how much he's individually improving these players. Yeah, I, I think coach is the right word there. I think he's he's someone who clearly has watched a lot of football, but watches it in a way that he thinks, well, what what can I see that people aren't seeing? What are people doing wrong that they can improve? And I don't think he gets, I guess, starstruck by, by big names or by excellent players. And I think maybe there are a few managers who just think, well, you're a good player. I'll chuck you on. You do the rest. Mm. Arteta's sort of someone who really is working on players individually. I think that's why players love working under him because he 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 challenges them in a way that, well, most players like working under him. And he challenges them in a way that um, allows them to get a better version of themselves. And if you ask players at the top level, obviously they want to be winning trophies and challenging for titles and all that kind of stuff. But on a day-to-day basis, what they want to feel like is they're improving, they're getting better. Because when you get to that level, there's only so much you can actually achieve in terms of your top 95 96 percent talent where's the extra three four percent going to come and that's where the elite managers really make a huge difference and small things like that and when you practice them and they make a big difference on the pitch that gives Arteta almost messianic status within the squad because you sort of everything he says becomes gospel and the players become his disciples because suddenly he's predicting the future and you know if you're a player listening to that and it happens and it improves you on the pitch, that specifically, something that minor that you would never have noticed otherwise, Jack has talked about this, Sack has talked about this, Erdogan's talked about this. It's massive. And I do think Arsenal players really, the ones who are there now, really love working under him. And some of the ones who have left feel the same as well. And yeah, I think he's he's having a massive impact on this team and we're seeing it in the performances. Yeah, massive impact. Um, and I think that you were right to say about the one, you know, when you kind of double backed on the whole, most players want to work under him. Yes. Because of the whole yeah. um, big characters apparently don't, you know, want to work underneath him. And that's fine. You know, like I, I don't really know what big characters really means. And if it means that they're not willing to, to, to buy into what the philosophy of Arsenal under Arteta is, then frankly, I, I don't particularly want big characters. You know, I think that Arteta has managed to cultivate a squad with the team behind him at executive level is all singing off the same hymn sheet, all buys into exactly what they want from from a tactical side and from a mentality side of things. And we're benefiting from it because, you know, we sit top of the league by quite some distance with the ability to maybe even extend that uh, very soon as well. Um, now, obviously, the next game up for Arsenal is tomorrow, as we've already mentioned. We're going up to Manchester for the game at the Etihad between Manchester City and Arsenal in the league, but in the FA Cup. It's a strange dynamic, this one. It's strange that this is a cup game coming before, obviously, two weeks before the league fixture. 
how much weight are you putting on the importance of this game in the context of Arsenal's season? Because I've seen the split of people saying, one, you know, some people say they, they frankly don't care what happens in this game. If we go out, it is what it is because we can just focus on the league. And others have said, well, you knock out Man City, Chelsea are already gone, Newcastle are gone, and Arsenal looking the strongest side in the league. And you could be looking at a very good route to an FA Cup final and potentially another trophy. So where do you stand? It's really hard to say now um, mm. before the game. And I know it's really easy to say after the game, which is why you're asking me a very good question. Um, <laughs> I think for Arsenal, if they lose, probably not the end of the world. I don't think any Arsenal fan right now is too prioritising or fussed about the FA Cup. I don't think that's a massive issue for them. However, if they lose in a way that, and I've seen a lot of people make this point, and I think maybe we've had this conversation too, mm. where 2008 Man United, they lost 4-0, derailed the whole season. If you lose like that, that can have longer term impacts. That can create an inferiority complex ahead of two really close league prem, league games against Man City. And then suddenly you're, you're worried. So that does raise the question, you know, should Arteta go strong? Should he go weak, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think it's an important game for keeping the momentum going. So I think mm. it has the potential to really be detrimental in terms of the psychological aspects. But I think it also has the potential to provide a massive boost. And if they go there and they win at the Etihad, suddenly they have this psychological upper hand going into the uh, the elite games. They have this this self belief, which they have anyway, clearly given how they're playing and how they get playing their way until the end of the Man United game. But there's also the fact that it's you know Arsenal have a score to settle. The last time they played them was New Year's Day 2022, when the yeah. you know the referees intervened. We'll say that much, and it led to a very frustrated Arsenal dressing room and Arsenal camp and. Things have changed. Arsenal now have a lot more self-belief. And I think since that day, they've really started to believe that if they play the way they play, they're going to start winning games. But I really don't know. And, you know, we've got our reporters 11 coming out this evening, Thursday night. And I don't know what you've written, but I've I've, mm. I've instructed Arteta in mind to, to rotate heavily because I don't think you should risk having players if you need to call on them for the rest of the season, having them cold when they need to come in. So, for example, last season, out of curiosity, quite a lot. Um, I think and the usual starting think, 11. So let's say, right. let's try and remember. Um, so we got Turner, Tomiyasu, Holding, Kibior, Tierney, then it's Partey, Laconga, Vieira, S- uh, Trossard, and Ketia Smith Road. So wow. eight, nine changes. Yeah, the reason I, 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 I get that that's extreme, and I'm not even sure as I've said it out loud that I still believe it but it's going on now and <laughs> yeah it's just too late i've written it and i'm not going to change it but i think the reason i think that is because there will be some points in the season where Arsenal are going to need to call on these these squad players we saw it last season when for example when Partey got injured palace Arsenal needed to call on sambi laconga he came on and he he was cold he wasn't ready he came uh started against uh southampton started against brighton didn't look ready there were other reasons as to why and the whole left back situation and jack playing left back and all that kind of stuff and etc etc but i think when the players came in they didn't look ready to impact the team straight away he hadn't started for four months in fairness so it was understandable i don't think arsenal want to get themselves into a position again where they've got squad players who haven't played for four months and if you look arsenal hypothetically if they were to go out of this competition if they do which i think you know the odds would suggest away at man city that's that's certainly a possible and if not likely outcome i think we'd all accept that then suddenly you're looking at when will these squad players next play because if arsenal get a difficult draw in the europa league 
is Arteta going to play them then? Let's say they get Barcelona in the next round of the Europa League. Is Arteta going to play them then? Probably not. Hmm. It's difficult. It's really difficult. It's a really, I'm interested to hear what you think. Or I don't want to... Yeah, I'll, I'll give you kind of my 11 in a second. I, just a follow-up. If we were, say, fighting for Champions League spots, like we were last season, and this was the game, do you think he would go stronger? Are you saying with last season's squad or this season's squad? No, um... No, no, no. Let's say we're in this season squad where it is right now, but we're not fighting for the title alongside City. Instead, we're going for the Champions League, but say we're around fourth, fifth at the moment. Do you think that he would maybe go stronger with kind of getting that momentum up in a sense? Or is there just so much tactical kind of second guessing and not wanting to give too much away ahead of the league game that he would rotate more now? I think in that scenario, Man City would be so far and away that mm. going stronger, you'd probably risk you'd be scared of, I guess, losing anyway. Um, mm. Maybe that's a mentality thing on my part, which I don't think Mikel Arteta has a problem with. <laughs> but, um, I think he's very, very confident in his team. And I think, you know, that's why Arsenal has got as far as where they are. But I, I back into rotate because I think in that scenario, the Champions League is so important to Arsenal that then the league becomes the priority over the FA Cup. This scenario, obviously, the Premier League is you know, trying to win that is, is massive, but they've qualified for the Champions League. Let's be realistic. I mean, what's the gap? 20-odd points? They're, they're not going to, well, maybe not 20, but near that. They're not going to, you'd like to think, they're not going to throw it away. So, um, despite what Gary Neville says. So, I think I'd expect him to rotate in your scenario, but I think, I realistically think Arteta's going to go strong because he mentioned the fact that Arsenal don't play for eight days in his pre-match press conference and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I don't know. I've, maybe I've gone heavy with the, the rotation. I'm mm. pretty sure I have. I've I made, like yeah, I've made six changes um, with my 11. I went Turner, Tomiyasu, Saliba, uh, Kivior, Tierney, Xhaka, Smith-Rowe, Erdegaard, Saka and Ketia Trossard. So that's Erdegaard and Smith-Rowe playing ahead of Xhaka just because I feel like I was tempted to put Partey in, but with the Elneny injury. I've got Xhaka playing in the deepest position, which I know is a risk, but we don't have El Nenny, so I can't. And there's no one else really other than if, unless you play Kivior there because he can play in midfield. Well, I guess you could play Lukonga there, but I, I, see, I see what you're saying. I just, I can't. I don't trust that guy. <laughs> I really don't trust him with all the respect in the world. It's just in his last few performances, I've really struggled with with Lukonga. Um, and I think at City, he just gets eaten alive. Um it's an argument for Lukonga, though, because he's more mobile, I suppose, than Xhaka in there. And, you know, he went to Old Trafford and besides the two mistakes was okay when he was there. It is a difficult one. Um, and I think having that consistency and experience of Xhaka could be good uh, still in the midfield. I, I like the idea of Smith Rowe giving an opportunity in midfield because I think that's something that could potentially work for the future. His positioning when he was playing on the left actually is very similar to Xhaka's positioning in this new role. Um, so I think there's a lot of similarities between the roles anyway. So I don't think it would create a massive problem. Um, and yeah, I, I suppose you're right in the sense that you could go with Lukonga, obviously, and then move Smith-Rowe to the left and take out Saka and put uh, Trossard on the right. Um, we don't have much depth at striker, that's for sure. So you're playing Getty in every game um, at the I moment. I suppose you could play Trossard up front. And you could. Again, not ideal. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one. And I don't think... Although I think there'll be very few people that get the lineup exactly spot on. There's part of me that I think I think he'll make like two changes like, and like he'll just try and go strong and win it because I think he'll see the importance and, and the benefit of getting this win, not, not only because it progresses you through the competition and knocks out the arguable biggest rival for the for the cup, but, um, but also... Why do we do this question? What, what team do you think he'll pick? 
Okay, I think he will pick. I think he will pick Turner, Tomiyasu, Saliba, um, Gabriel, Zinchenko, Partey, Xhaka, Odegaard, <laughs> Saka, and Ketia Trossard. That's what I think he'll pick. So that's yeah. how he changes. Tomiyasu in for White, Turner for Ramsdale, and Trossard for Martinelli. They're the only changes I think he'll make. I think I disagree on the Matt Turner thing. I think historically in big cup games, you think to the Carabao Cup semi-finals at Anfield, I think Ramsdale played ahead of Leno. And Leno was yeah. a, a very solid yeah. backup. So I don't know. I feel like maybe Ramsdale would play. Um, mm. Fullbacks, I think both will get changed. I think Zinchenko will be replaced by, by, uh, by Tierney. I don't mm. think he'll um, risk Zinchenko in this game. I think he's just too important. And he's yeah. had problems all season. And I also think Tierney deserves a game. But yeah. um, beyond that, I, I don't think I disagree too much with what you're saying. I think, yeah, Nketiah Saka, Trossard is possible. But when you're going to give Smith-Rowe the minutes, it's tough. But I do think throwing him in at the Etihad for his first start of the season is a massive risk. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I don't – I think what – so how many changes is that? We've said two? Yeah, two, um, to, two to four. Two to, I think two to four. Two to four, I think, is a range that's probably what he'll do. Yeah. yeah. Um, interesting let us know on Twitter and in the comment section of course on YouTube what you think listeners uh, he will do because uh, I think it's I think he will go fairly strong but we'll see he's already said he expects the game to be very different from the league I'm not, I don't think that's just about lineups I think it's just about the approach both teams have because it's a cup game I think both teams can kind of go for it there's not going to be as much tactical cautiousness about that game because in the league losing that is dreadful for either side so whereas a cup game i think there's a lot more kind of freedom to be a little bit more expressive and adventurous in what they do so we'll see um but i think yeah there's going to be a lot more caution um more from city side i think in the league game because the league game is such a bigger game for city than it is i think necessarily for us they have to win it whereas for arsenal yes we could lose it and still be ahead and obviously i think to win the league we have to beat city at least once or draw both games to, for me to for us to win the title but for them losing is an awful thing in the league because it just opens up that gap so significantly um so yeah that, i think we might see some cautiousness from them we'll see i think they might play one of their more experienced sides in in that game uh, let's uh we've obviously got to talk about transfers and i think what's the best thing to do is rather than just kind of tackling transfers on their own combine it with the q a because Next to all of the questions we've got <laughs> are, are, of course, as you would imagine, along uh, the lines of transfer. So let's let's get those up. Um, so Damien on Twitter, at Damien underscore Hybria says, is signing both Rice and another central midfielder a realistic target for Arsenal? Now, I'm just going to caveat this question slightly. I don't think Damien's saying signing Rice now. I think the question's along the lines, if we sign a midfielder now, do you think they'll have an impact on us signing Rice as well in the summer? Okay. Um, I think, so obviously Declan Rice is the number one target in the summer. We've seen reporting of that. That's, that's, you know, I think Arsenal clearly are putting in the, the, the yards for the player. I think Chelsea are still interested, but I think mm-hmm. Rice is very much open to coming to Arsenal. I don't think that would necessarily stop them from going out and signing another player. I think, let's say we're all talking about Lukonga in the first half of the pod, and we've been saying how it doesn't really seem like Arteta fancies him as a six. If he's not going to play him as an eight, then you know where is he going to play, and does he have a future at Arsenal? So let's assume he does potentially move on in the summer, and that's mm-hmm. not inside info. I'm not suggesting that's definitely going to happen, but should Lukonga move on, he'll need replacing in the squad. Um, so not necessarily. 
Uh, I do think, you know, we don't know the the extent of Mohamed Elneny's injury, but mm. uh, we assume it's 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 kind of long term, but we don't know for certain. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think Declan Rice coming in necessarily means Arsenal won't sign another midfielder. I, I think ideally they'd, they'd get two. Um, I think Rice can cover both Partey and Jacker, but if you're going to be playing in three, four competitions, which Arsenal will be next season, suddenly you need players who can cover all those positions and quality players because it's not like the Europa League, which Arsenal become used to. Squad players are different in the Champions League teams than they are the Europa League teams because you have to play your strongest team in almost every single game. So when players come in, the level can't afford to drop in the same way it can with the Europa League when, with all due respect, you're playing Dundalk away or FC Zurich, suddenly you're playing, the, you know, the, the easiest game you might get might be Borussia Dortmund or, you know, you're playing proper teams in the Champions League mm. and it, you have to have very strong outfits and players who are robust and physically ready to go. So I don't think Rice coming in would necessarily mean that Arsenal don't sign another midfielder or if Arsenal do sign another midfielder this January, that means that, that Rice won't come in, no. But um, let me ask you a mm. transfer question. Um, although, you know, Damien Highbury, yeah, there's that question there. Um, let's go through. We should give a shout out to Sham at Dope Guna, who asked us about the uh, the starting 11 for the Man City game. We've discussed that in, uh, yep. in depth. Um, let's go for. Um, okay. Nabil uh, Siddiqui says, and he's at Nabil S1871, says. Mm-hmm. Uh, which player are we most likely to sign in the time remaining in the January transfer window? And I'm not going to ask you for to pin your hat to uh, hang your hat on a certain name because I think that's a bit harsh. But what I am going to ask you is, um, I'm going to twist Nabil's question ever so slightly and say, uh, which player out of the ones who have been linked or the ones you think might be available, do you think Arsenal should try and sign between now and the end of the transfer window? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, obviously, the midfield is the area that I think we're all looking at. And in particular, a player that can give you cover and genuine cover for Mohamed Elneny's potential long-term absence. And that's why I worry when I see links to the likes of Weston McKinney, um, because I see him as more of an eight and I see him as more of a progressive midfielder than someone who's going to target um, competing with Partey. The player that we have been linked to, that there was actually a funny thing going around on social media yesterday with his agent being spotted in London, is Ibrahim Abamba, um, the Vittoria uh, midfielder who's also been called up to the senior side with Italy and Roberto Mancini who very much appreciates him as a, as a talent he is someone I think that certainly is, is of a right age profile that you're not necessarily going to kind of you know rule out a rice transfer I don't think it's going to cost you a significant amount um, so I think he's a potential sensible option for us if you want un- if you want non-sensible in terms of prices <laughs> of course Moises Caicedo comes into my mind although he again there are some I suppose contradictory thoughts that he's more of an eight than a six, but I think he can play six and I think he has played six. Um, and obviously you've got that Premier League experience. Um, he, he's very kind of um, never say die type attitude player, uh, full tilt, full time, love the energy of the player. If Arsenal could do that and it would be very expensive. Um, you know, I think I've seen reports that Brian would want close to 80 odd million quid for Caicedo, which is very yeah. difficult. Um I think so. Maybe more. <laughs> Who knows? Like it's it's difficult. When you when you remember, I took a club like Brighton in January. You can basically ask for what you want in that scenario because he's not overly committed to. He's not sorry. He's he's not like 
committed to trying to force a move away. He said he's very settled in Brighton as well. So there's that. Uh, I mean, Chelsea have just been turned down by Onana from the latest reports as well. The other name is Martin Zubimendi, uh, Real Sociedad. Uh, we'd have to play his release clause, which I think is 60-odd million euros, but very good player, um, 23 years of age, uh, on the radar of a lot of top clubs. And uh, yeah, I think, again, would be a, a good progressive midfield option playing deep. So yeah, there you go. I'll, I'll throw it back to you quickly. Any names that you're looking at and loving at the moment? Um, it's hard. I, I, no, 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 not one stands out in particular. But listen, I'd never heard of Jakub Kivio. I've got to be honest until a few weeks ago, and suddenly mm-hmm. I think he's a really smart decision, and I, I genuinely do think he's a fantastic addition to the Arsenal squad. So I'm, I'm sure Arsenal have, have got players that we've never heard of ready on the back burner. You know, I would be surprised. But then they also target Premier League players too. So don't know what i will say on caicedo and i guess we should highlight a few questions because i got a bunch of questions in on mm. uh moises caicedo osas osmos uh, says can we sign caicedo now um on facebook a lot of questions i put a picture of caicedo in my post on facebook mm-hmm. and um a very nice question uh from smart neiman who says was it true can Arsenal sign this wonderful kid so i think he's clearly a fan of, of moises caicedo mm. uh, lots of questions along those lines what i would say about caicedo and having spoken to some people at Brighton, spoken to some people around um, that sort of deal, it's very tricky to get sort of concrete um, information on him. So, you know, I, I'd, I'd say this isn't 100% definite, but Brighton are in a position where they don't necessarily want to sell this window, as you, you were mentioning there. And the reason they don't want to sell is because they don't have a backup yet for Moises Caicedo. And throughout their dealings in the transfer window you've seen they've, they've not let players go unless they've been certain they've got someone who can who can come in and replace them and they didn't let for example Marco Correa go in the summer to Man City or Chelsea were both in for him they didn't let him go before they brought in Pervis Estepinian to, mm. to back up him they they wouldn't let them White go than him he's <laughs> been fantastic um they brought mm. in a centre-back um whose name has escaped me when Ben White left and oh uh, um oh yes who was it um Oh, that's really yeah. annoying me now. That's going to annoy me so much. Oh, no. It's tricky, it's tricky. But the, the, the point we're making generally is Brighton are very good in the transfer market. They're not mugs. They won't sell without having someone ready. They, they bid for um, RB Leipzig's Amadou Haidara. And mm-hmm. I think it's Amadou Haidara. Uh, yeah. My, it's Haidara. <laughs> I can't oh, quite yeah. remember his name. Um, and that's so far has been unsuccessful. So maybe if, if they bring in Haidara, then you can start to look at potentially, um, you know, would Caicedo go this winter? Roberto De Zerbi has already said that he wants him to stay until the summer. I think the player has said he's fully focused on Brighton for now. Again, Chelsea are interested, which is another factor to throw onto the the log fire, if you like. And I'm sure they can offer him wages that Arsenal probably won't want to match because Chelsea are, have shown that with Mudrick and they might be able to offer him a 20-year contract that Arsenal don't want to offer and something like that. So... It's a tricky one, the Caicedo deal. I, I do think Arsenal are interested and, you know, they're, they're, they're looking at him, but it's a very difficult one to get done that. And I think it's born out of, you know, those injuries to Mohamed Elneny. We don't know the severity of it, we should say that, but it does appear that it's a, a relatively serious one. And, you know, Arteta said, ideally, they'll go out and get a central midfielder before the end of the window. And it does seem Caicedo is the one being most strongly linked, but um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see on that front. But it's, it's a very difficult deal to get done for a number of reasons. And if Arsenal do pull it off, then... Fair play to them. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, I couldn't actually find the centre back that they 
brought in. They brought in a lot of players, but none of them look to be centre-backs. But I know you're right in the sense that they won't let a player go until they've got that. They brought in Joel Veltman the year before, who can play right-back and centre-back, to be fair. Um, but yeah, and that summer that they lost White, they, they signed Inok Wepu, Kukurea, Kozlowski, who's a midfielder, Simo, who's a winger. Uh, Undav, who's a striker, Sherpen, who's a goalkeeper, and Mitama, of course, and Sarmiento, who's another forward player, both of them. So, um, but yes, they did have cover because they have Webster and they have Duncan, you know, they've brought in obviously this season Levi Colwell on loan as well. Yeah, so, you know, they've got, that time as well. Yeah, so they've got plenty of options. Um, and yeah, of course, as you say, they have burnt uh, at that moment before they let him go in January. So, yes, interesting indeed. Uh, let's tackle uh, a couple more. Um, Let's go to. It's always like uh, I'm always listening to the Ask Cast, and you've got like um, Andrew and uh, and James scrambling for like the question. You're like, sure, you'd have like them ready, <laughs> and then I'm sitting here like going, um, uh, which question? Really sympathising uh, with them now, aren't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll ask you one on Rice. Um, uh, Abubakar uh, says it seems everyone is reporting Arsenal's interest in Declan Rice. Do they see him as a six or an eight? I personally see him as developing with Mikel into the English version of. PV4, Patrick Vieira, of course. Ah. What do you make of that? For a minute, I was like, I've never seen him called PV4. I was like, PV4? <laughs> yeah. Forgive me for not instantly getting the PV4 reference. Um, yeah. Which one would he be? I personally think I like, I think he's so energetic and so athletic, and he's got a very similar physical profile to, to Granite Jacker that he probably could play that box to box role. The mm-hmm. thing that he's been missing from his game is certainly goals. But I think he would say that he needs to have more. I think there's plenty of players and sorry coaches that he's had that would say he needs to add more goals but I think at West Ham he plays such a defensive role he's not maybe given the license to go forward and bomb on as much whereas if he came to a team like Arsenal maybe we'd see him do that more uh, same with England where he's asked to play a very defensive role uh, having said that he could probably do the six he's pretty good on the ball mm. he's pretty good technically um, you know I, I don't think he'd come in and replace Thomas Partey in that role right now but Listen, Thomas Partey didn't start. He was Partey started off as a ten and then got further and further back. I don't think Declan Rice, Declan Rice, kind of done the opposite. Was started as a centre back and has gone further and further up. And I think personally, I like him more as an eight. And I think you restrict him a little bit playing as a six. But listen, Arsenal haven't even signed him yet, so let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But I, I, I think that left eight competition with Granite Xhaka, Declan Rice could be a perfect signing. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that if, if Arsenal could do that, it's a massive statement. I think an evidence of where they see themselves going forwards competitively in the league, which is a good sign for us Arsenal fans. Uh, do you want to close the show with one more? Yes, and I'm going to go. Um, let's scroll. <laughs> it's that let's classic scroll. thing, as always. Like, what am I going to go for? Let's scroll. Um, Do you think, as this from from Gary Andrew Potter uh, on Facebook, who says, do you think Arsenal are waiting until the end of the window before doing one more deal in order to avoid a repeat of the Mudrick situation? So as I'm sure you guys are all aware, Mudrick, Arsenal very publicly pursued the player. Um, It meant that Chelsea became available, uh, aware of it, sorry, and were obviously able to sneak in and steal the player. Uh, Do you think Arsenal maybe are conducting their, their midfield hunt a little bit more in the shadows in order to avoid that happening again? Or... Do you think that's maybe a, a, a bit of a conspiracy theory? Well, I mean, the honest answer is that Arsenal try and do every deal as quietly as they can. Um, unfortunately, that's not always the case. And obviously stuff leaks and agents um, are, are privy to, you know, sometimes speaking about things because it can help with deals and help with the financial side of things. 
So, and sometimes clubs want it to be known so that obviously other clubs might come in and raise level. You look at Shakhtar situation, Arsenal were always trying to pay under what Shakhtar wanted and the situation led itself to Chelsea being basically forced if they wanted to get him because he wanted to go to Arsenal to pay exactly what Shakhtar wanted and that's how they got it done. So I don't think um, that Arsenal will be waiting until the end of the window at all. Uh, I, I think they are trying to do things as, as early and as quickly and as efficiently as possible. And, you know, we've seen a number of times now with the Kivior thing in this January, we saw it with Fabio Vieira in the last summer window. Things can come out of nowhere um, and Arsenal are doing things quietly and successfully uh, behind the scenes and they've already shown several times that they're able to do that. So, no, I don't think they're waiting to the end of the window to try and be, you know, to give other teams less time because at the end of the day, whilst you have teams like Chelsea that can just come in and blow Arsenal out of the water in terms of finances, um, they are going to be looking to do them as, as soon as they can and as quickly as they can because time is, is the most important thing with these deals and time is are going to what's protecting Arsenal from other teams jumping in. Because, you know, with with Kivior, we heard that Borussia Dortmund, I think RB Leipzig were interested in him as well. Um, a number of teams wanted him. Um, Milan, I think, also mentioned as well. So they got that deal quickly and quietly done. Uh, we've obviously been linked to Ivan Fresneda uh, as well. And that's not been done quickly because of the Cedric situation happening. And that's allowed Borussia Dortmund, it seems, to be very much... Uh, in the driving seat of that potential deal. We're still waiting for, for more information to come out from that potential move. But uh, yeah, Arsenal will be wanting to do things as quickly and efficiently as they can behind the scenes and not be... Uh, I'm not going to be buying into these superstitions about waiting until the end of the window to do stuff because we did that last window. Well, we didn't do it last window. We were forced into that last window and it uh, it cost us. So yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think obviously, I think Edu said that they want to try and do every single transfer deal, like the Fabio Vieira deal or the, the mm. Akimio deal, if they can. But this, uh, I, I wouldn't include myself necessarily in this, but there's mm. very good journalists covering Arsenal who make that very difficult to do. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. There's a long, long time between now and Tuesday, and, you know, we'll, we'll bring you coverage on Football London of all the. Uh, goes on the transfer deadline day don't worry about that we'll have that covered so it's going to be a i think a fascinating day for arsenal and it, it had looked briefly like it might be a bit of a quiet one but it doesn't seem like it's heading that way i think Arsenal would love to try and get the deal done before that personally i don't think they'd, they'd want to risk waiting until the final days of the window when fees become higher wages wage demands become more sort of i guess ballsy if you like and arsenal will probably want to get the players in as early as possible get them involved get them working with the squad, training with Arteta, all that kind of stuff. So I personally don't think they'd, they'd want to wait um, later if they can avoid it. I think they want to get that business done as quick as possible. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that brings us quite nicely to the end of today's podcast. Um, obviously, we're going to be back next week with more reaction from the FA Cup game, with reaction to deadline day, which will be approaching quickly. Uh, we might try and see if we can maybe get out maybe a bonus podcast around and after deadline day as well because obviously there'll be a lot of stuff to talk about you'd hope uh well we say we hope we're hoping Arsenal get things done well ahead of the panic day of deadline day but uh that sometimes doesn't end up happening uh we've got plenty of content coming out not only on the Arsenal way but of course on football.london which will be able to check out all of the content there we'll be bringing you coverage of the game against Manchester City on Friday with a live blog and of course all of the relevant press conferences post game will be there to consume as well Kaya anything you'd like to particularly shout out that's on the way no nothing nothing too spectacular just our transfer deadline day coverage we're going to be doing it uh on football london throughout the whole day the build up to the day all that kind of stuff um it's going to be big 
obviously the city game coverage tom and i will will bring you all the usual stuff and anything extra that we can get ourselves get a hold of so yeah we're going to be up there we're going to be hopefully bringing the three points back down on the train with us on on saturday morning and fingers crossed for a good result this weekend and a, a positive end to the transfer window for Arsenal. Absolutely. Um, thank you guys for listening. Do drop a like on the video and subscribe. If you're listening on audio platforms like Spotify, please do leave us a five-star review. It does help us out massively. And if you're listening on iTunes, you can leave a written review as well. Let us know your feedback. Um, but we love to hear the positive, constructive side of things as well. And if you're listening on YouTube, do leave your comments on anything that we've discussed in today's show down below. You can follow Kaya on Twitter at KayaKanek97. You can follow myself at Tom Cantor Media, and you can follow all of our written work over at football.london. We will see you again very, very soon and as always keep following us down the Arsenal way with our views from the clock end.